the Lord and welcome to Cross Time with Pastor Curtis. I'm Pastor Curtis Hutchinson here in the studio at Crossway Church in Queen City, Texas. Glad to be gathered around God's Word with you today in 1 Peter chapter 2. Grab your Bibles. Maybe we won't have any problems this morning. My phone's already cut off like three times, just blacked out. It's a brand new phone. I only had it, I hadn't even had it two weeks yet, and it's already uh, playing the, uh, the jokes on me and everything. So anyway, grab your Bibles. We'll do as good as we can do, and uh, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. And remember, while you're turning there, that everything we do here at Crossway Church is uploaded to the Curtis Hutchinson 316 YouTube channel. Also, the website, thecrosswaychurch.com, and we have a brand new church app that just came out uh, about three days ago. So get that, uh, get rid of the old one, uh, delete it off your phone if you had it, and add the new one. It's updated. You can donate on the app. You can watch live on the app. You can watch the archives on the church app. And, uh, and so you can also find us on the app that's called Spreaker. And I have over a thousand teaching sessions slash sermons uh, there on that, uh, on that app. It's called Spreaker. And our channel on the Spreaker app is for those who have ears to hear. And again, that's just audio. It's not video, but that's fine. All you need to do is hear the word and uh, the Lord will bless us greatly. So uh, we have a brand new well, it's our first ever Facebook uh, church page. It's Crossway Church, Queen City, Texas. I've had a couple of pages and two or three groups, but it's our first ever Crossway Church of Queen City, Texas Facebook page. It's where we live all the all we air all the things that we do live, no longer on the Pastor Curtis Facebook page. And so please uh, go follow that page and, and subscribe to the YouTube channel again, Curtis Hutchinson 316. Let's gather here this morning around 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll begin down near the end of it. Uh, in uh, Let me see where we are. In We'll start in verse 21, but you know how, how we do here. We, we, we start where we left off, but we have to go back and grab some of the light that we had last week and put it in our shopping cart, so to speak, and push it along in toward the new light that the Lord is going to give us this week. And uh, because and that is how this works. We, we don't forget what we've received. We, we make sure we're taking it along with us on our journey uh, because we need the light from yesterday to help us see better with the light we will receive today. The, the Lord has promised us that the path, he has us on the path of the righteous, the path of the just, will shine more and more until that perfect day. That's Proverbs 4 and 18. But what we'll see here today, and the overall topic, I believe, of what we're studying right now in chapter 2 of 1 Peter is suffering and following Christ as he suffered we are called to suffering. We're not called to go out and cause suffering, though most of our suffering, unfortunately, is self, get that, self-induced, and uh, we're not getting anything for that except misery. But we're called 
to walk in the footsteps that Christ walked in. And if we do follow our Christ, not in some make-believe imaginative way, if we follow the leading of our Christ through the commands he's given us through the apostles, the disciples that have been written, that's right, commands, then you and I will find ourselves suffering at times for well-doing. You get nothing for suffering for wrongdoing. But you get commended by God. You get blessed and honored by your God by suffering for conscious sake toward God by obeying really specifically what we're reading is the ordinances of men, of governors, of employers, and whoever the authority above you is, even in a local church, a, a pastor, a praise and worship leader. If you can't subject yourself to those who lead, those who've been given positions of authority that are over you, then you're not subject to Christ, except in the vanity of our own minds. And we'll see that today. Let's go back up just for the sake of scratching our feet in this good ground and, and, and getting a place to dig in and move on into where we are today. First, let's, let's read verse 21 before we back up. Verse 21 says, For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered. Oh, you're called to suffering, Christian. You're called to it. And if you ever live in the Christian life, you're going to suffer for well-doing. Amen. And if you're not suffering for well-doing, it means you ain't doing well. Uh, let me get that again. If you're not suffering for well-doing, it's because you're not doing well. You're keeping your mouth shut when it should be open. You're opening your mouth when it should be shut. You're, you're, listen, the Bible says now for those who are Bible believers that those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's, that's not a maybe. That's not, well, not everybody. No. We, our flesh likes to add those things to, to and, and we'll see. You can't add to the word. If you do, you're eliminating yourself from the benefit of the word. So uh, we, we have to remember we're called unto suffering. What? Let's read that again. The first part of this 21st verse in the second chapter of 1 Peter. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Now, take this note down. Psalms 85 verse 13 tells us that as righteousness went before him, and we've been set in those steps, righteousness went before him, Christ, and has set us in his steps. So, we're walking on the path of righteousness, Proverbs 4, 18, the path of the just, that's the same thing. And our Lord only leads us in the path of righteousness, Proverbs 8, 20, Psalms 23 and 3, write them down, let it be another study for you personally with your Lord. 
But we're told here that we're called unto suffering for well-doing, just as Christ experienced. And let me say, as we will probably say it again, but that unless the child of God learns to look from their place of union in death with Christ on the cross by faith, they will never ever walk in a place where these scriptures offer blessing and command. These are a command. These are not optional. Matter of fact, God don't give options. God gives commands. Jesus is the captain of our salvation. So a lot of the new age apostate, they don't want to hear anything about commanding because they think that puts them under law. But while they're avoiding the commands of Jesus, they automatically have put themselves as though they're living back under the law. Because you'll either live by the law of the old or you'll live by the commands of the new, the law of liberty. Amen. And that doesn't mean that you've been liberated from obeying God. It means you've been liberated from that which kept you from obeying God. So you've got to be real careful there. Because when the Bible, let's go back up now, verse 13, and quickly move through this, because this is a command to you and me. We must hearken unto the voice of God. If we don't, if we don't obey what's written here, then it's only a, the vanity of our mind that thinks we're obeying the Lord anywhere. Watch now. And we're going to quickly go through this. I don't want to get caught, caught up here, but we've already gone through this. But we've got to see what's being covered here if we'll understand what we're called to. Now get this. Submit yourselves, verse 13, to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. When, when, I, when I'm not submitted to every ordinance, I'm not submitted for my own sake. But when I am submitted, it's for the Lord's sake. Whether it be to the king as supreme or governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, there it is, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, not in resisting, but in subjection to. You, you pray for your bosses, well, become subject to them. Whoever the leader is over you in a place of authority, as long as there's that spiteful, little spiteful resistance. What, it doesn't matter if it's little or if it's just, ah, whatever. Any resistance at all is a rebellion against Christ. I want you to hear that. Because the Bible says it's the will of God that you be subject to those that are over you, whether it's a wife under a husband, or children under parents, or a praise and worship team under a leader, or a church, local church under a pastor, or a Sunday school class under its leader there. Whatever the case may be, a, an employee under an employer, it may a, 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 a citizen of the state under a governor of the state, it makes no difference. There are civil places of authority, and all Christians who rebel against this, uh, they are not submitted to the Christ that they, in the vanity of their minds, think they are. They're not. And because this is the will of God. Are you in the will of God? Now, our flesh don't like it. 
We're not talking about what our flesh likes. We're talking about what God desires and what God wants, what is his will. Amen. And we're seeing it here. He says, verse 16, as free, us, as free men and women, boys and girls, in Christ Jesus, not using our liberty for a cloak of maliciousness and to be spiteful and just rejectful and reject and, 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 and resistful, but, but to subject ourselves. Listen. But as the servants of God. So because we know Romans chapter 6 teaches you can't serve God unless you're serving righteousness and you can't serve righteousness unless the object of your faith is deliberately and consciously in the death of Jesus and your union with him in that death. You, you, you're not going to serve God. You might think you're serving God. You might know you need to serve God. You might want to serve God. But that's why he made you... In the twinkling of an eye, when you were born again, at the same time he freed you from your sins, he made you a servant of righteousness. Romans 6, 17 and 18. Because you can't serve God unless you're serving righteousness. And you can't serve righteousness unless your faith, it, listen, consciously and deliberately willingly a decision made that I'm trusting in Christ's death and my union in him with death in his death there so that I can experience and express the life which will be found as the spirit of grace only through that avenue the spirit of grace can come and walk me through these very situations because he can't if I won't submit to the cross. See, and let me go back and say this again. I knew I probably would. Unless we learn to look with eye, the eyes we received when we were born again, we'll never, we'll, we'll struggle with this or, or worse. We'll just throw it out. I ain't submitting to them. Christians do it. I ain't submitting to them. That ain't godly. The Bible doesn't say if it's godly. The Bible says, now we're not to submit to anything that results in sin, but you can't just make up and say something sin if it's not sin, just because you don't want to do something. Amen. Right. But we're, we're, we're not to use our freedom and our cloak of liberty for, for maliciousness, for evil, which is not being subject to those who are over us. That's evil. If God tells you something is the will of God, then it's evil if you're rejecting the will of God. That's evil. So, but he says, as the servants of God, and let me say it again before we move on, nobody on the planet at any time is serving God that's not serving righteousness. Romans 6, 16. There's only two options. There's not a third. There's multiple choice, A and B only. There's not a C. There's one and two. There's not a three. There's We're obeying the sin nature unto death, which means for us Christians an unfruitful place, or we're obeying or we're o obedience unto righteousness through serving God through faith in that form of doctrine that freed us from sin and made us servants of righteousness. Hallelujah. That's all in Romans chapter 6. And if you don't understand that, this will always be something that you, you, you'll never be able to grab a hold of. And because if you can't grab a hold of this, you'll suffer at, the own, at your own self-destructive way. Self can only destruct 
and cause destruction for all of us, even those who are in our lives, if we don't know where to take self, deny self by taking up our cross, the cross of Christ, our faith in his death and our death with him, our union there in that. Because if you never learn, if you never learn to look with eyes through the cross or from your union with Christ in his death from the cross... This is off limits. You might try hard, but you'll keep failing because you have to have grace, the spirit of grace. That's the Holy Spirit working the power of God in your life to even find the right attitude for these things, much less do it. So watch now, verse 17. Honor all men, not some, all men. Love the brotherhood, fear God, Honor the king. Servants, get ready. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. That means honor and reverence and, 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 and just submitted to their authority. Not only to the good and gentle, the ones we like that treat us right, but also to the froward there, meaning harsh, the mean, the rough ones. Just get in there and get it done. Subject. Be subject to Subject to them. Amen. See, unless you learn, listen, unless you learn to look from the cross, your union with Christ in his, no, no, no. See, we've missed it. All, the whole church age, we've missed it. We think resurrection power, that we can do this stuff with resurrection power. No, what you were given resurrection power for was to live the crucified life, the humble life. Amen. So that your union with Christ in his death could maintain that humility of Christ in your life so that when you see what's written in the word, you will have a heart for God more than your own fleshly, carnal lusts and desires. You You'll have a heart toward God, a conscious toward God. Watch now, verse 19. For this is thankworthy. It's commendable. If a man for conscience toward God. See, if I'm just all about self, I ain't doing that. I ain't doing that. I ain't subjecting myself to them. I and you might not be boldly proclaiming that, but God sees the heart that is spiteful and resisting. And not submitted first, not, not to people, you're not submitted to him. Your faith is not in the cross. Oh, I know we believe in the cross, but while I'm not subject to those over me, I'm not trusting in the cross. The church needs to hear this in every nation, tribe, and tongue because the church believes in the cross. But how often do we literally tangibly in experience place our faith from our hearts deliberately consciously trusting in the death of Jesus learning to appreciate who he is and what he did at Calvary more and more and more learning to look from that place of union that place of humility that place of obedience you can't unless that's where your faith is and if your faith is is there, then things like your flesh, now get your flesh, our flesh is never going to like this, but it's not about our flesh. Our flesh is all about self-consciousness. 
But our new man, the new man in Christ Jesus, he's, he's all about being commendable to God. He's all about a conscience, a conscious toward God. Being conscious about our relationship with God and how it began and how it must be maintained and how I can find myself walking by the Spirit of grace in the commands of my Savior so that I can express my Savior more and more and more. Think about that. Watch now. For this is thankworthy. This is commendable. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. That's the picture of Calvary. What did Jesus do wrong to deserve being crucified? Nothing. One of the thieves on the cross, after both were reviling him, one of them had, had a touch of, uh, of, of conviction in his heart and repented and accepted him as who he was and began to rebuke the other thief on the cross, saying, he don't even deserve to be here. He's done nothing wrong. We deserve this. Amen. So... Suffering wrongfully. Jesus healed the sick, raised the dead. I, I mean... I, Jesus did nothing but good. Nothing but good. And they crucified him. And he prayed for them while he was being crucified. He did nothing but good. We're called to that. We're called to this. We're called, listen, we're called to suffer for wrongdoing. And the only place we can do that is if we're walking in the footsteps of our Jesus. We're called to it. Now let's keep reading so we can get back to where we're supposed to be. And verse 20, For what glory is it if when you are buffeted for your faults, that means when you're beaten, you suffer for your, your faults, you take it patiently. There ain't no glory. That's a, one of those questions that answers it, its own question. There is no glory for being patient while you're taking your suffering patiently because you suffered for something you did wrong. There is no glory in that. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable commendable, honorable with God. Why? Look at verse 21 where we started today. For even hereunto were you called. You and I, my friend, are called unto the sufferings for that will happen for living godly in Christ Jesus. Because all those who live godly in Christ Jesus, there's no other place to live godly than in Christ Jesus, which means, exclusively means, it doesn't mean two or three, it means one thing, that we live with our faith in that object that we were immersed into by our first belief ever, which was what? Unto righteousness. 
When we trusted in the death of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, God saved us of our sins. He'll save anybody, anywhere, at any time. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. Nothing about you matters except your heart believes that Jesus is the Son of God and was sent by God the Father to die in your place to forgive you of your sins. And the moment you did that, God says that is believing with your heart under righteousness. Because you trusted in his sufferings to save you from your sins. Think about that. And this is what you were called unto. You and I can't save the world from its sins, but we can sure tell them about the one who has offered their forgiveness and their salvation through his sufferings. We are called here unto, which is unto what? Unto suffering for well-doing. Because living godly in Christ Jesus means that you're trusting in the death of Jesus. Now, wait a minute. Not as some blanket statement where you say, well, I believe in the cross. No. We know you do if you're a Christian. But are you trusting in Christ and what he did for you at Calvary? Are you trusting in how he crucified you with him, and now your union with him is in his death. Yes, burial and resurrection, but my friend, hold on a minute. You weren't justified by nothing but the blood, not the burial, not the resurrection. The Bible says, for Bible believers, those who love sound doctrine, you were justified by the blood. You were made near by the blood. That's Romans chapter 5. Verse 9, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. Write it down. Look at it later for your own personal Bible study with the Lord. You'll be greatly blessed. But I'm telling you, folks, in Christ Jesus means I'm trusting in his death. It's the only in place. It's the experience of the in place. And, and, and there's only one. The reason the Bible says in Christ is because we entered into his death. Death, union with him in his death. We, we were, he was crucified for our pardon. Amen. Our forgiveness. And, and, and for us to be able to become a new creation in him. We were pardoned. And we were also not only pardoned, we were given power, John 1 and 12, to literally be becoming the children of God. Amen. We received the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of grace, the Comforter. We received God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth to guide us into all truth. But it doesn't just magically or happen without us. That's why you can't just be one of them Christians, my friend, that says, well, we believe in the cross too. I get it. I know you do. But are you trusting in your union? You're already pardoned and on your way to heaven. What you need is the power of your God today to, to, to cause you to walk in the experience of what we're reading right now and many other experiences. You've been pardoned. You need the experience now of the Spirit of grace who can walk you through the experience of obedience in these commands that are written for us to be blessed, hallelujah, and to honor our God for conscience sake toward our God. Think about that. Think about how 
much of an honor it is to be able to follow Christ even though it be through suffering. You're going to suffer criticism. You're going to suffer the loss of this, the loss of that. But the more you're learning the Word of God in the context of your Savior, Jesus Christ and Him crucified, the more thankful you're going to become and the more you're going to be able to count as dung all those things that were lost for the gain of Christ. Hallelujah. And, and let me say it again before we move on. We've got to move away from this blanket statement where there's, it's that, well, of course I believe in the cross. What are they talking about over there in that church? Always talking about the cross because we're learning to trust in our Christ of the cross, our union with him there, the only place our faith can be, the only thing we can be beholding because as we behold that glory of the Lord, we're changed into that same image, 2 Corinthians 3 and 18. But Philippians uh, uh, 3 and 10 tell us that we're being made conformable to his death. So you, you have we, to be on the same page, and we're supposed to be, we have to understand what that glorious image we're beholding is. It's our Savior and what he did for us at Calvary. His suffering for us so that we could walk in his footsteps and experience him to be able to express him. This is where the, the, the scripture comes to the table that says that the, the Holy Spirit delivers us always to the death of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.11. Why? Because that's what we have to be beholding. Not some man hanging on a cross, some bloody corpse. Uh, no. What, what he became to us there. What he was made unto us there. What we became there. What was lost there forever and what was gained there forever. We have to behold that work of redemption, my friend. It was for far more than just an initial born-again experience. It is to have the spirit of grace that everything is done by. Most of the church don't even know that grace is the person, the third person of the Godhead. It's not just some, uh, something floating around. When, when the Bible says by grace through faith, that means it's all of Christ. He tasted death by the grace of God through faith. In his heavenly father's command, he was sent here, commanded to lay his life down and to take it up again. And that's why he said he had the power, because he was walking in obedience to his father's command. Think about that. Think about these things, my friend. The, if the cross is not the focus of your life, and, and, and preachers, if you're listening to me today, if the cross doesn't become the climax of your message, then it had no Holy Spirit climax. And all, Listen, let me get back to my point. Most of the church never equates grace with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of Grace. What is that? Hebrews 10, 29, I think. that The Spirit of Grace. Everything we do as a Christian, if it's in God's will, is going to be by grace. That means the Spirit of Grace at work in us through our faith in the Word of God in the context of the living Word of God and what He did as the Lamb of God. I hear preachers tell sto biblical stories and they start here and they build up and they build up and they reach this climax. But if, it, if, it, if, it, if that's not the cross, 
There is no climax there other than fleshly carnality. The climax of Christ's life and ministry was his death on the tree. And if you want to experience the path that God set before you to be brighter and brighter, you want to experience the climax, the impact of, uh, of living for God, then you, my friend, as well, are going to have to maintain your faith moment by moment, striving to moment by moment. Keep your faith, listen, deliberately and consciously in the death of Jesus, your union with him, that's, that's your, your entrance place into Christ. It's your entrance place into the kingdom. It's the slam door in the face of the devil that he can't come in that place. Hallelujah. It's your refuge, but it's also the place from which you now look and see. Jesus told Nicodemus, you, you, you can't enter the kingdom or even see it. John 3, 3 through 5, until you're born again. When you were born again, your eyes came open. Where? From your union with Christ in his death. That's where you see all things. Luke 24, 44 through 47 reveal this as Jesus in his resurrected body is talking to the, the, some of the disciples on the road to uh, Emmaus. They didn't know who he was. And, 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 and after they found out who he was, the Bible says there again, it's Luke 24, write it down, 44 through 47. The Bible says there that he opened their understanding of the scriptures by saying the son of man must suffer and die and be raised the third day see see my friends without that as the climax of your message you didn't have a message from God you can tell me what the Bible says all day long and you can be a professional storyteller about the stories of the Bible and you can make them sound so beautiful and I love that. But if it doesn't climax on a hill called Calvary, my friend, if that's not the end result of your story, it was just a fleshly thing. Even though it's a true story. Because see, here's where we need to be. How does the Bible relate to Jesus and how does the Bible relating to Jesus relate to Calvary because until we see that we'll never know how the Bible relates to Jesus and Jesus said it did the volume of the books written of him the scriptures are about him we'll never see how it relates to him and we won't see how it relates to the cross because if we don't listen if we if we stop right there and all we do is hear stories talking about how the Bible points to Jesus and what he would do at Calvary. But we never see how that now is applied to me moment by moment. Where am I? Where am I? Am I still just sitting there listening to Bible stories 60 years, but nothing's happening. I haven't grown. I, I haven't become uh, operative, functionable more in the body of Christ. I'm like those that were found and rebuked of the Lord for uh, not being baby Christians, for, but for being baby Christians too long, for becoming dull of hearing. No movement, no activity, no growth. Still where I am 
30 years later. Come on, somebody. Somebody's listening today that needed this. The Lord's reaching for you. I'm not some old mean, ugly preacher. The Lord's using me today to reach for some folk, reaching through, trying to get you to see that you have to see not only how the written word of God pertains to the living word of God, but what he did as the Lamb of God and then your union with him in his death by faith. That means, that means a deliberate, conscious trusting in Jesus and what he did in death and your union with him is in death. That's where you became with him. And God didn't spare his son. What's, what is Romans chapter 8 verse 32? And because he did not spare his only begotten son, but delivered him up for us all, shall he not with him. That's where you're with him. That's where your faith is legitimate when your faith is in his death. With him there, you get all things. That's why we need to learn to look from where we really are in him. Amen. And we need to walk. In him, and the Bible says in Colossians 2, 6, as you have therefore received the Lord Jesus Christ, how did you receive him? Through faith in his death. Colossians 2, 6 says, so walk ye in him. You can't walk in him if your faith is not in his death. You're not walking in Christ. You walk into church, carrying a Bible, quote the Bible, preach a message. But walking in Christ is, means your faith is legitimately, deliberately, consciously placed in the death of Jesus. Now get this, now i got to say this, because there are some Christians that would hear me say this, that your faith has to deliberately and consciously, you got to know what you're doing, placed. Your union has to be with Christ in his death. That's why, that's why you're struggling with, with commands in the New Testament. That's why you're not experiencing the fruit of being obedient because, oh, I believe in the cross, but you're not trusting in the cross. Not where you're finding your union and your place with your Savior in his death. It goes back to this statement. Every struggle we have is really not what it seems to be. It's our struggle with the cross. If we'd learn to deny self by taking that cross up, we'd have a whole lot less struggle going on. I didn't say there wouldn't be any. But you got an issue in your life and some struggle. It's not the picture on the outer surface that you, uh, surface that you think it is. The real issue is what am I doing with the cross? Because that cross of Christ is the only thing that makes my faith legitimate. And when my faith becomes legitimate, my faith, my faith is my victory. Hallelujah. 1 John chapter 5. Come on, somebody. So watch this now. I know I left off some stuff, but we got to move on. For even hereunto, verse 21, were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his footsteps. Now watch. Here's his footsteps. You say, can't nobody do this. That's a lie. In Christ, in Christ, if your faith is in the death of Jesus. Literally. Yeah, now, now let, me, let me say what I was going to say before we move on. But I didn't finish. Folks who don't like 
the phrase that I'm using that your faith has to be deliberately and consciously. Know what you're doing. I'm trusting in the death of Jesus. Listen, I'm dead. Colossians 3 and 3. I'm dead. I'm hid with Christ in God. Listen, I I love Jesus. I want to serve him. And he's given me that one avenue here to serve him, to be subject to everybody who's over me. So you know what? Because my conscience is toward him and I love him, I'm going to obey him. I don't care what everybody else is doing. I'm not going to be pulled into their boatload of hypocrisy because that's what it is when I'm not obeying my Lord. I'm, 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 I'm living a life of hypocrisy. Think about it. But people who don't like that when we say your faith has to be deliberately and consciously. You got to know what you're doing. You got you to believe this from the heart. In the death of Jesus, then those same people, and it's what I feared for a long time, those same people must think that you can be born again without deliberately and consciously knowing what you're doing Not knowing the deep theological truths of Calvary, but you must deliberately and consciously know that you are trusting Jesus as the Son of God who died on the cross in your place to forgive you of your sins. These people who have a problem uh, with our statements of that your faith has to deliberately and consciously be in the death of Jesus, I'm fearful. I'm fearful for them and, and what they even think about the born-again experience. Think about it. I've, I've been fearful of it for a long time for other certain reasons. But your faith, the word faith is a verb. It is an action. I mean, my faith is my victory. It, my faith overcomes the world. Now, we're not, we can't sit back in the chair and say, I'm an overcomer. Even though it's true, the Lord wants to, for you to experience fruit from being an overcomer. A lot of times, we got that blanket statement up there. Think about this. Well, I believe in the cross, but, but how many times during the day were you challenged where you could have literally trusted in your union with Christ in his death, in the righteousness of Christ. But you didn't. Think about this. Let's let's have this thought, this discussion just for a minute. Do you not think that the church in Sardis, who had a name, they were alive, but Jesus said were dead, they were no longer hearing from him and receiving from him, but they it looked like they were. They had a name that they were alive, and he had to write to them and show them. You're not hearing from me. You're not receiving from me because he won't call you dead if you are. And then he tells them that they're going to have to repent and return to the place of hearing and receiving properly. But get this, here's the thought. Do you not think that they loved him? Do you not think that they still loved, they didn't love Jesus? I guarantee it. The church of Laodicea, Jesus is on the outside of that church knocking to get back in fellowship with them. And and all these issues we're talking about right now is because the object of their faith was no longer the death of Jesus. 
their union with him in his death. They were pardoned. They were the church. They were forgiven. They were on their way to heaven. But he's on the outside of the door wanting to get back into fellowship with him. Do you not think that they didn't love Jesus anymore? Now get it. If you're not in fellowship with him, even if you think you are, there's a problem there with your love. But they probably thought they loved him. He'd saved them. How about the church in Galatia that Jesus had to write through the apostle Paul and tell them that you've fallen from grace. Christ can no longer profit you or affect you. They turned to circumcision. What have we turned to today? Many things. But do you, do you think that they just didn't love Christ anymore? They were saved. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They'd seen miracles in their church. Read the book of Galatians, especially chapter 5. Chapter 1, it starts out, I marvel that you so soon removed yourself from the one who's called you. Think about it. I guarantee it. They were sitting there, we love Jesus. Jesus saved us. So my point in bringing these things to the table today is you can't just sit back at home and say, well, I love the Lord anyway. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. Oh, we love him, but you got to be careful you don't love yourself more. Oh, I'm going to say that one more time. Oh, we love him, but we got to be careful we don't love ourselves more than Christ. Instead of denying self, it's our, it's one, it's, it's our biggest issue, self-love. And it's the ground of the enemy. Anything with self, self-love, self-pride, self-anything, is the grounds the enemy legally has to wreak, wreak havoc on our lives. You need to hear that today. I hope you're hearing this today. So we can say... I love Jesus, but am I loving him now through obedience to his word? Oh, I believe in the cross, but am I trusting in the cross? Because you'll have to admit with an honest heart that it's only when you're not trusting in your union with Christ in his death and what he did for you at Calvary that you and I do all the, every big piece of stupid we do. Every time we throw a temper tantrum, we've opted out of trusting in Christ. See, only my union with Christ in his death by faith. What he did there for me. Not what I did there. What he did there for me. His suffering for me. My union with him in that death by faith allows me by the spirit of grace that he tasted death for me to be able to have can experience being subject to my Masters, my employers, my bosses, my governors, my, even the mean ones. Because I'm not here to put on a show to them that I don't... I'm here living with a conscience toward God. Looking for ways to please my God. Now watch this. For even hereunto were you called. Now I wrote something here in my note and I don't want to get away from it. Last night as I'm studying this. This right here, my friend, is where I want you to get this. Oh, Lord, give it to us good today. This right here is one of the areas, and there are many more. This is one of the areas where we get put on notice, where we 
step into where the rubber meets the highway. This is where we see if we have the fear of the Lord or we're snared in the fear of man. Because our spitefulness against authorities, our rebellion against authorities, that's all of the carnal flesh. And it's because we're trapped in the fear of man. The fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the value of the Lord, the respect unto the Lord, the conscience that's toward the Lord. That's the fear of the Lord. He shows them his covenant. And to experience the power of his covenant, you have to be looking at the covenant. The covenant is the cross of Christ, the blood of Jesus. He is the new covenant, the shedding of his blood that Jesus said himself in Luke 22 that the new covenant is in my blood. Oh, this is good today. This will help the true-hearted Christian, the spirit-taught heart. This will help those who fear the Lord because this right here is where we either fear the Lord or we fear what men will think. Or we value what I think above what our Lord says. And let me say it again. We believe in the cross. But are we trusting in that powerful death there? Are we trusting in our master who died for us to pardon us and died for us to give us power? The power of the spirit of grace to be obedient children of God. Hallelujah. Oh, I love the Lord, but am I loving him? See, that blanket statement, the devil loves that blanket statement. It's all up here. Oh, we, we believe in the cross too. They, man, we believe in the cross. Matter of fact, we done gone up, man, we done moved on from that place. No, no, no. If you moved on from the cross, that's your carnal man ruling and reigning again. You never move on from the cross, my friend. I know the flesh, the carnal man, well, Jesus, he moved on. He ain't hanging there. The lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus manifests that truth. And the word of God says, as you are beholding that glory, you will be changed into that glorious image by the Spirit of the Lord. And only as you're beholding that image, which is the death of Jesus, Philippians 3.10, 2 Corinthians 3.18, will you be going from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. I'm ready to go from glory to glory. I'm ready to go on with Jesus. And it's not about me hearing this today and saying I got to try harder. No, it's about me hearing this today and say I got to keep fighting the good fight of faith. What's that mean? To maintain my faith in the death of Jesus because there I find my union with him. I find what he's offering me. I find him only there, from there, mediating the new covenant. You say, well, he's not there. He's on the throne. The power he has on the throne, he only has because of what he did 2,000 years ago on that cross. You can't get saved because you believe God's son is on a throne. You get saved because you believe God's son died 
on a cross. God's Son didn't defeat and triumph over all principalities and powers from His throne. He did it in His death on the cross. Never forget that. Never forget that you as a child of God have been given resurrection power to live the life that you were born into, born crucified, to live crucified, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. A lot of Christians running around talking about wearing a, a crown. My friend, your crown ain't coming until you step on the other side of that Jordan River. Right now, you've been called unto suffering. Don't go out and then do suffering. Just keep trusting in the one who suffered for you, and you'll find more suffering that you want to be experiencing. Think about that. Now watch this now. This is so beautiful. Let's read verse 21 again. For even hereunto were you called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Now there's a colon here. Because now the example that we're to follow has not just already been given us because Jesus also subjected himself to, to the rulers and to the authorities. Not those who did evil, but he subjected himself to the laws that Israel had and, and to even paying tribute to get in the temple. This God-man in flesh even sent Peter out to get money out of a fish's mouth to be able to pay to get in the temple that was really all about him. He subjected himself. But watch this now. Watch this beautiful picture of our Savior who did no sin. Never a sinful word, never a sinful work. Never a sinful deed, never a sinful word. Never, not once. The Bible says it again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He that knew no sin, sinless, sinless Savior, selfless Savior, Say it again. Oh, say it again. The beauty of those words. Sinless Savior. Selfless Savior. Think about that. The life he lived. Sinless life he lived. Selfless life he lived. Qualified him for the death he would die. And the death he would die qualified us for his, sinless, his sinless and selfless life. We don't know a lot about that because we're so selfish. We don't know a lot about sinlessness because we're still sinful more than we'd like to admit. Come on now. But because of his sacrifice, we have the spirit of grace living within our hearts, the spirit of God. And we can walk in obedience. We will mess up, but we can still walk in obedience. And one day there will be a, a moment that comes when we see our Lord where we ourselves will be sinless and selfless just as He is. But today we have to look at 
who he is and what he did, listen, our faith has to deliberately, consciously be there in his death on Calvary's cross. How else can we take every thought captive to his obedience under righteousness? Now, now watch the beauty of this. I've got about four minutes, so watch now. Jesus did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. And that word means deceit. He never said something and meant something else. It was always right on the table. He, wasn't, he's, he was never deceitful. Watch now. Who, this Jesus of ours, our precious Lord and Savior, when he was reviled, he didn't revile them. When he suffered, he threatened not but committed himself. See, I like to say it this way. He did do something. He did do something. What did he do? Look at verse 23. He committed himself. This is what he's asking you to do, my friend, child of God. This is what he's asking us all to do, what he did. He committed himself to the one that judges righteously. That's what he did. Jesus, the sinless, selfless Savior of all the world. He didn't revile back when reviled. And he didn't threaten when he was threatened. But he did do something. He committed his self to the one who judges righteously. What was God's righteous judgment? It was for him to go as the Lamb of God to the slaughter for our sins so we could be forgiven and become the heirs of God with him and we could have his nature, his spirit. And that even in our day today that we can look deliberately and consciously in every situation to the one who held dear to the righteous judgment of his heavenly Father, carried out in him and through him, making us righteous through our trust in him. We can experience this marvelous and ever-growing brighter path of righteousness Moment by moment, if we'll learn to fight the good fight of faith as the good soldier does and keep his mind stayed on the Lord, that is trusting the Lord and what he did at Calvary. It's where righteousness was declared from, experienced by our Savior, and offered to all who will only believe. But for my heart, for me to commit myself to be subject to my master. My faith must be in what he did. His subjecting himself to his heavenly father. The one who judges righteously. And Jesus told us all in John 7, 24 to judge righteous judgment. Ultimately what that means is allow the word of God 
All of God's words are in righteousness, Proverbs 8 and 8, to point us to the place where, we can, where our God can find our subjection unto him truly by faith in the death of his son, the place where all righteousness in any experience is experienced. Praise the Lord. What a wonderful and beautiful picture of Christ. And we'll see more of it next week. We'll probably finish this second chapter next week. So be sure and join us next Friday morning at 9 a.m. Central Time. Right here on Cross Time with Pastor Curtis. God bless you. I pray the Lord touch you right where you are right now. Whatever it is that's ailing, hindering you, whatever it is, sickness, whatever it is going, the Lord sees it. He's completely aware of all of its existence and what's going on there. And he is going to take care of you. Reach out to him by faith in the death of his son the place where all the power of God comes to you from, your union with his son in death, and you will find every single thing you've ever looked for. I pray that you're healed today and encouraged and edified today. And I'm thankful for those of you that gather around God's word with us who he has awakened or is awakening unto righteousness. Hallelujah. If the Lord stirs your heart to give to Him through this ministry, you can do that at thecrosswaychurch.com. You can easily text the word GIVE to the number 903-231-5950. God bless you. We love you. Until I see you next time, stay determined to know absolutely nothing but Christ and Him crucified. We'll see you then.